Thank you for joining us for the final message of Colossians rooted in Christ. Let's prepare our hearts for what God has to say to us today. And please give a warm welcome to Pastor Brian Hopkins. Hi, Journey. Nice to see you. Thanks. Uh, Let's land our study through the book of Colossians. I'm kind of batting cleanup today on the book of Colossians. And if you've got a text, I'd invite you to turn to Colossians 4. We're going to start in verse 2 and go all the way through verse 18, which is the very end of the book. I'm going to read this text to you. You can follow along on the screens as well. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Remember Paul was in prison as he wrote this letter to the church at Colossae. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Tychicus will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves me in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. So does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my coworkers. They're working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greeting, so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea, to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting and my own handwriting, Paul. Interestingly, Paul would have transcribed, he would have spoken the rest of the letter. But here, he actually, while in chains, grabs the pen. He wants to sign his own name to this letter. Remember my chains, he says. May God's grace be with you. Let's pray together. And God, that's just what we ask for today, that your grace would be on us, and that you would speak, and that you would stir, and that you would move, and that you would, well, God, that you would show up today, and that we'd get the incredible privilege of hearing from you, and that that would transform us, that this wouldn't be just a sermon, but this would be an encounter with you, almighty God. And that you'd show us just what you have for us and that we would go out those doors different, charged to live differently for you. This is your time. We love you and we worship you first and foremost and alone, oh God. And everyone agreed together and said, amen. I think you'd agree with me when I say that Americans are pretty concerned people, aren't we? We are generally concerned people, and we're concerned about all kinds of things, like, does my hair look okay? We get concerned about that. 
We're concerned about things like, I hope the stock market doesn't crater. We get concerned about things like, will my kids make nice friends? We get concerned about things like global poverty, about our boss liking us, about healthcare costs rising. We care deeply that our roommate, if we have one, isn't a jerk. We get concerned about things like, man, new round of layoffs coming. I hope I survive it. I hope my car starts. I hope I have enough money to pay my bills. I hope that medical test, the real serious one, I hope it comes back negative. And we could just go on and on. We're concerned as people about all kinds of stuff. Dana and I, we were pretty concerned this week. We sent 10 kids to school. Like, let that wash over you. By the way, we're getting our fair share from our tax dollars, right? 10 kids go to school. Good heavens. 10 of our 12 kids are in school now. And you'll resonate with this, that there's a lot of concern around back to school time, isn't there? And for Dana and me, we were especially concerned about sending three of our kids to school who haven't ever been to school before. Our newest daughters, see, three of them are school age, Jada, Liberty, and Karis, and they started school, and we got real concerned about them because, first of all, they're not native English speakers. Second of all, they've only been in the United States since April. They don't have all this figured out. And third, and this is the, the, the biggest concern, is they sometimes listen to instruction from adults. <laughs> sometimes. But off they went to school, like they ride the bus and like onto the bus and off they go. And they have amazing teachers. All our kids have amazing teachers. And I'm happy to report that their school experience went pretty well. Though the other day I went to pick one of them up, a couple of them up actually. And I got one of these from one of their teacher. And I was like, oh, geez. And so I went over and I was like, okay. And she said some kind of concerning things about the day and how that went, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Sometimes it's going to be hard for them. Sometimes there will still be concern that we carry. Nothing we can do will be able to eliminate all of that, no matter how much we might want to. And that's all of us about anything that we're concerned about, isn't it? We can't eliminate it all. Now, if you will, for just a moment, step back in your mind's eye with me a couple of thousand years, sometime around 60 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. 60 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he's sitting in prison. He's writing this letter to the church in Colossae to encourage Christians there in some things. And Paul's not pinning the Colossian letter inside of any kind of vacuum, is he? There were all kinds of things that were happening in the community of Colossae. There's all kinds of things that were happening in Paul's jail cell, in his little world, that would have been quite concerning. And, note, all of those concerns that were flying around the Colossian Christians, not to mention all the concerns that Paul was living with day in and day out, as well as all of the concern that we carry right now in this moment. You want to know something? Those were not and those are not Paul's primary concern as he writes this letter. Isn't that interesting? They were not Paul's primary concern. Instead, Paul's primary concern was with, watch this, the advancement of the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's his primary concern. 
the advancement of the king, the moving forward, the pressing forward of the kingdom of God via the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul isn't ignoring all those other concerns that he had or that the church at Colossae had or that we have today. He wasn't putting them aside as trivial or menial. In no way was he at all saying you should not be concerned about those things, not at all. He was, however, inviting us to elevate our vision, to think about things a little bit differently by saying, look, this one concern I have trumps all those other concerns. And it's this concern that God's kingdom advances via the gospel of Jesus Christ, moving forward and advancing and taking new ground. And Paul notes, this is the very most important concern in the entire world. This is it. And then he does this to all of us. And he's like, come on. I invite you to join me in this great concern. Like, come on, join me. So in these closing verses of this letter to the Colossian church, Paul's talking about what it takes for God's kingdom to advance via the gospel of Jesus Christ advancing. He says, it requires some things. If we're gonna share in this greatest concern, it requires some things of us. Now, as a preface, I'm not dumping any of these things out on anyone saying, you should do these because I do all of these. Please, please, please do not misunderstand that. Nor am I saying that you should do these things because I've got all of these things. No, not at all. What I want you to hear is that a whole bunch of the time I struggle with doing every single one of these things that I'm about to lay out for you. I also want you to know that I don't in any way have all of this figured out, nor do I do all of these things that I'm going to talk about all of the time. But for me, as I pressed into this as the Lord and I worked through this text this week, Paul's instruction, his invitation, his challenge in particular spoke very deeply to me, drawing me many, many times out of the dark places that my heart naturally retreats to and into the light of everything that it looks like for me and for our family to have our lives ordered fully around the advancement of the kingdom of God via the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ, I'm working on these things too. I do not have all of this figured out. And the first one is this one. Man, this one is hard. Devoted prayers. If you're gonna be a person who takes Paul up on this invitation to come join him in the advancement of the kingdom of God, he says, we've got to be devoted prayers. We've gotta be. You probably know that lots of industries these days are relying on what they call just-in-time manufacturing or just-in-time delivery or just-in-time inventory, right? One of the most noted retailers in America uses this, Walmart. And as I understand it, I'm a pastor, not a retailer, so this is a pastor's understanding of this, is that inventory levels at each Walmart store, for example, rely on real-time computerized sales forecasting to project when they're in need of replenishing any given product. And I think it has something to do with those little like laser guns that Walmart people carry around, right? And they're all geek, they're scanning all this stuff. I think it's somehow linked to that through the interwebs and so, right? You've probably noticed that Walmart stores do not have huge back rooms that are stocked with every single product that they have for sale, right? That would be 
Well, impossible. That would mean that every single Walmart store would have to have as much like backroom storage space as they do sales floor space. And, and that just, that would be terribly impractical. And so they use this just-in-time inventory delivery systems. And if you spend any time shopping at Walmart, you notice that most of the time that system works great, right? However, you also notice that some of the time it doesn't work at all. Right? Because for whatever reason, those little laser guns and the interwebs, their computerized sales forecasting model had no idea that there would be a giant run on that particular hair gel, for example, and that they would run flat out of that hair gel or whatever product where the shelf is empty. There's a big hole there. And you can't just say to a Walmart employee, well, could you go check the back room because they'll just laugh at you. They'll be like, no, 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 the truck will be here tonight. Right? That's what they say. And right now, lots of you are going, what in the world are you talking about Walmart and that? Here's the connection. Because this just-in-time manufacturing and delivery and inventory system, it might work just great in the marketplace, but it doesn't work at all when it comes to our prayer lives. It doesn't work at all when it comes to our prayer lives. Because see, in order for our prayer lives to have any effect right here, in our lives, in the lives of people around us, out there in our world, prayer cannot just be sporadic, nor can it be haphazard. You know this. Prayer cannot just be our fallback position because we suddenly perceive that the rug is being pulled out from under us, and all of a sudden, dang it, I need to pray, and I haven't been. Paul makes it very clear that the model, the example that he's holding up for us, for our prayer lives, is this word devoted. And devoted is like a hard word. Paul lifts up Epaphras' prayers for the Colossian church. Remember, Epaphras is probably the guy who started the church at Colossae. And he lifts up Epaphras' model of devoted prayer for the Colossian church. He's like, this is what it looks like. Paul says Epaphras is grinding it out. Prayer is like working out for Epaphras. He prays hard for you. And how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of us work out hard, real hard at the gym, but our prayer life looks like quite a bit less work than our workouts at the gym? And that's been really, really convicting to me because I do work out a bit. And I'm not sure how hard I work out, but I do work out. And sometimes my workouts feel to me like I'm straining every nerve and muscle in my body. Now, I know the results don't actually reveal that that's the case. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about how I feel after I have one of those workouts. Prayer ought to be like for us working out. And the Lord and I have been interacting about this together. Like what would it look like for me to pray with the same zeal with which I work out? And what if I did that? And what if we did that? If we did, I'm convinced that we would see different results in the life of our church, in the life of our communities, if we took up prayer with the same zeal that many of us take up working out. And one thing I've had on my radar screen, especially lately, is how the big C, the capital C church in Bozeman is doing. 
I was having lunch a few weeks back with a lead pastor of one of Bozeman's most influential churches. I was talking with him about my journey. Some about how I've been limping emotionally, limping spiritually for the past couple of years, how that's been hurtful to journey. And we talked together about some other situations, some other influential churches in our town and valley that have gone through really difficult seasons as well. And it was a really hard, unpleasant, not fun conversation. But our conversation pricked something in me that I've been thinking about with the Lord for some time, and it's this. I think the devil is absolutely delighted when Christian leaders and when pastors and when Christians in general are limping and when churches experience difficult seasons. I think the devil just sits back gleefully because he says, my mission has been accomplished. My mission has been accomplished, he says, because he's managed to distract us from advancing God's kingdom via the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's managed, frankly, to knock us off mission, and he loves that. He absolutely loves that, and we should hate that. And so this pastor that I was visiting with and my conversation turned the corner around, well, what in the world could we do about that? Seems like the devil's kind of kicking our tails, and let's take that ground back. And so we thought together what it might look like for us to join together with some other churches and devote ourselves to prayer together. Like, that's cool. We should do that. And there's some ensuing conversation about that. But understand this. We don't have to wait for the next prayer program for us to be more devoted to prayer. What if we just leaned more into prayer, kind of like I know a whole bunch of us lean into the working out at the gym thing? What might God do? What might just happen if we just leaned into it? Here's a challenge for you. What might God stir up if we doubled or even tripled the attendance at our Wednesday night prayer gathering around Journey? Lots of you are like, we have a Wednesday night prayer? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And you're always invited. You're always invited. I don't know what God might do. But I do know that devoted prayers are one thing that God uses to advance his kingdom via the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next thing Paul talks about that's a trait of people who seek to be on his team advancing the kingdom of God is they carry with them a sense of urgency. This idea that every single moment of our lives is precious. And when we don't squeeze every moment to its full, redemptive, kingdom of God, gospel of Jesus Christ potential, we're missing opportunities. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus shares with this this fantastic story. Textual editors have entitled it The Parable of the Shrewd Manager. Isn't that a great title? The Parable of the Shrewd Manager. And it's a story that Jesus tells about this guy who managed this rich guy's business for him. And one day word got back to the rich guy that this manager was wasting his money. And so rich guy calls manager in and says, you better get your affairs in order. Put a status report together because you're gonna get fired. Oh, Now, like any of us, that manager would have been what? The words are freaking out. Yes. He's like, now what? And so he runs this very quick assessment of his life, and he goes, okay, I'm about to be fired. I'm too weak to dig ditches for a living. I won't ever beg. I'm way too proud for that. So what the heck am I going to do? And his tabulation spits out on the other side this brilliant conclusion. Ah, I know. 
And this is sheer genius, what this manager does. That manager, he invites, some of you know the story, that manager invites all the people who owed his rich boss money and he cut what they owed his boss by a lot. Cut it by a lot. Oh, you owe me that? Well, let's cut it in half. Oh, you owe me that? Let's cut it by a third. Why'd he do that? So that he would have lots and lots of friends who would help him out when he lost his job. It's brilliant. And no matter what you think about what that shrewd manager did, I always want to call that guy a rascal, by the way, because what he did, that's like rascally. No matter what anyone thinks of what he did, it's a brilliant illustration of a person who acted with a great sense of urgency. Every single thing in his life was at stake. So he staked everything on this very bold course of action and just boom. And so for us, for me, for our church, for anyone who claims the name of Jesus Christ, the application is we cannot ever just sit idly by like twiddling our thumbs, watching the world go by, waiting for God to reach people or waiting for God to give us the quote perfect moment to share him with someone. There's way too much at stake for us to do that. Now let me ask the question in what at least for me is a very convicting way. How much time do we spend urgently securing our welfare in this world versus urgently seeking to advance God's kingdom via the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What's the, what's the comparison? Which way do the scales tip? Well, honestly, for most of us, me included, it tips pretty extremely in the way of securing our welfare in this world. It just does. But Imagine with me, church, just imagine with me if we tip those scales toward the kingdom of God, and I'm not asking for like 100% tipping, but what if we just tipped it to start with like 10% more, just 10% more in the direction of advancing God's kingdom by advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ? We would see unbelievable fruit in this world. What would that look like for you? Next, Paul says, live wisely. If you're gonna be on the team that advances the kingdom of God, just live wisely. And he brings this up because what's true is that a whole bunch of the time, people around us listen to our Christianity a lot more with their eyes than they do with their ears. And very often, the beautiful clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the beautiful clarity of his love for all people gets muddled by how I am perceived, by how we are perceived, by our friends, by our family, by our coworkers, by our roommates, by our classmates, by our acquaintances. I muddle that up sometimes. I've been guilty of this. And Paul brings this to the fore because he wants us to carry the very same awareness that he carries of how much people are, who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ are watching what we do. And he says, guys, church, if you want to advance the kingdom of God, don't ever waste a single opportunity for the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be sown into the lives of anyone who happens to be watching us at any given moment. And this goes a lot further than just making good impressions with people. The temptation would be for us to step onto some kind of performance treadmill that keeps us, the word I'll use is hustling to win the good opinions of people. 
You know what we call that? People pleasing. It isn't just about winning good opinions. Instead, it's about winning people to God. And know this, the very most productive evangelists in the world are those followers of Jesus Christ who step boldly out into the daily mix of life and live out their faith. Paul says, live, live wisely, live really wisely. And then in a real similar vein, Paul says, live graciously. Live graciously. And isn't it just true that our experience of the grace of God should make us more gracious toward others? Isn't that just the truth? Because we've experienced the unbelievable grace of God in our own lives, we should want to like give that away and give that away and give that away. And yet despite my unbelievable experience of the grace of God, how many times have I failed to demonstrate that same grace to others? Way too many. Way too many. And so what does it look like then for us to demonstrate to others the same grace of God that we've received? Well, up in chapter three of Colossians, Paul's shown us. He tells us, here's what it looks like for you to conduit the very same grace of God that you've experienced. Here's what he says. Show tender-hearted mercy to people. Show kindness to people. Be humble with people. Be gentle with people. Be patient with people. Make allowance for other people's faults. Forgive people who offend you. These are all Paul's words. This is what he said it looks like for us to give away the grace of God to other people. Remember, he says, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Clothe yourselves with love, he says. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Live in peace. Always be thankful. Live graciously, and that's what it looks like to live graciously. Those traits, Paul says, are like salt, which is meant to season our witness to the world. They gain us, as a matter of fact, a gospel hearing with people in many ways earning us the right to be heard. And one more, and we're gonna finish with this one today. Paul says, if you wanna be on the team that advances the kingdom of God via advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've got, and this is kind of a downer, but it just is, and so we're gonna throw it into park on this maybe downer note. Be prepared to pay the price for the advancement of God's kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be prepared to pay the price. And some of you know this. Some of you know firsthand and very personally that it can be very costly to carry as primary concern the advancement of God's kingdom via the gospel of Jesus Christ. It can be very, very costly. And think about what they did to Jesus when they hung him on a cross. Perfect unblemished, without fault, sinless. And it can be very, very costly for us as well in lots of ways, financially, relationally, emotionally, even spiritual, I dare say, to have our primary concern be about the advancement of God's kingdom via the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very, very costly And Paul's not trying to like wave us off. He's not saying like it's too great. Instead he's like, 
Come on, guys. This is so worth it. Because you see, the very greatest concern that anyone could ever have is advancing the kingdom of God via advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, for crying out loud, he's in prison. He's chained up as he's writing this letter and his, not even his suffering was his greatest concern. Again and again and again, he falls back. It's all about advancing the kingdom of God via advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, join me, come on. What else would you rather give your life to? Nothing matters more. The stakes are so incredibly high. Let's go, he says. Let's go. I invite you to take your stuff and set it aside if you would and close your eyes and bow your heads. And I just invite you to move into a moment of hearing and reflecting with the Lord. Maybe just like in a 40,000 foot kind of view. Would you just look across your life and would you just run a quick evaluation and would you just maybe look at it through this lens? Is my concern about the advancement of the kingdom of God via the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it my primary concern? Or are there some other concerns that overshadow that one? And if there is, maybe you just have some honest reflection time with the Lord around why that is. And then maybe you just invite him to speak to you about what it looks like for you to tip the scales more in the direction of advancing his kingdom. What might it look like for you to take up those five traits or one trait or three of those traits toward tipping the scales? Let God speak to you honestly, candidly, with your ears wide open to him for what he's saying to you about that. Maybe you're someone today who's been primarily concerned with other things. Besides God, besides Jesus. 
much to the neglect of your spiritual condition. And what's true is that Jesus died on the cross for you to bring you into right relationship with him. His primary concern is you. His primary concern is you. And perhaps today is your day to lay aside all those other concerns that you've been living for and living with and cross the line of faith in him. You can give your heart, you can give your life to Jesus right now and you can do that by praying with me. I invite you, if that's you, to pray with me to say, Jesus, I've sinned, I've blown it, I've screwed up again and again. And I can't save myself. I need you, Jesus. And so God, by faith and faith alone, I receive your gift of salvation right here, right now. I'm inviting you, Jesus, to be my savior and to be my boss, please. And in return, Jesus, I'm gonna give you all my gratitude for everything that you did for me on the cross, everything you did for me by rising from the dead. You've got all my gratitude. You've got all of me. Here I am. And I want to order my life, Jesus, around the advancement of your kingdom of God. Please. Jesus, we're so incredibly grateful that you made humanity your primary concern. You didn't have to do that, and yet your love compelled you to. And so we want to take you up on your invitation to join you in this great adventure of advancing your kingdom via advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to waste any opportunities. We want every single thing about our lives to be sweet for you to other people. So that really our lives, everything about us are really just a signpost pointing people to you. There's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus and that you'd make us real helpful in helping people find you, please. Go with us, cover over us, protect us, use us, please, Jesus. We long to be used by you because you're simply the best.